what it took was, I've never, I don't think I've ever told this story publicly on the air anywhere, but I'll tell it now. Welcome to No Limits. I'm Rebecca Jarvis. Each week, we're talking to women playing at the top of their game. Founders, actors, athletes, chefs, comedians, musicians. Bottom line, these are women who win. So how are they doing it? We're taking you way beyond the bios, looking at their struggles, triumphs, risks, biggest mistakes, and some of the worst advice they've heard along the way. Whether you're looking for answers or you just want to hear a good story, you're in the right place. At one point, my guest today nearly swore off the corporate world altogether. She did stints working behind the Elizabeth Arden counter, teaching classes at Bally Total Fitness, and working at a big ad agency. She even tried out for Miss Texas, which didn't quite work out. But after years of soul-searching and surfing, she found herself in Laguna Beach, unemployed, mixing nail polish and putting together press kits for a new makeup line. And her hard work grew into something much bigger. Maybe you've heard of it. Urban Decay? It's one of the world's leading beauty brands, and Wendy Zomner is a founding partner and the chief creative officer of Urban Decay, and she joins us now. It's so great to have you with us, Wendy. Welcome. Thanks for having me. So I love that your story includes growing up in both Texas and in Europe, right? and you were sent home from school one day for wearing too much makeup. Yes, and that was in Texas even. So that's kind of saying a lot. If you get sent home from school in Texas for wearing too much makeup, you have a lot of makeup on. Um, but yes, it it definitely happened. I was like student of the month, but they had to send me home from school for my excessive eyeshadow one day. So all of this is just sweet revenge. Who would have thought back yeah, then? Who would have thought that? Yeah. Um, and even now, I feel like it's a little bit of sweet revenge with this whole makeup revolution that's happening. When I first started, you know, I'd come out here to New York and have all my makeup on and people looked at me like I was bananas and and now it's come full circle where I feel like gosh I don't wear any so and the Urban Decay brand has it's really gotten the attention of the millennial audience there are you know it used to be that it was the Estee Lauders of the world the Revlons of the world they ran things that's all changed. It's completely changed because there are so many beauty junkies out in the world. And I really credit YouTube and social media and all of the beauty influencers for helping indie brands grow and thrive and bring them to the forefront. And I think what's really changed is everyone's become their own makeup artist. So because of YouTube, you can go on and you're like, oh, how do I get that smoky eye? How do I get that sort of ombre amber colored eye that everyone's wearing and you can go onto youtube you can look that up you can find your favorite makeup person and they can take you through step by step how to do it and you can sit at home and try it and i think a lot of women that are you know young to even middle-aged are sitting at home doing that and taking my advice and like testing things out at night before they go to bed and washing them off and then trying things in the morning and you know, just kind of going out there and putting their best beauty face out there. And this all started, so you're in Laguna Beach. You were surfing at the time. You thought about maybe just becoming a lifetime scuba diver. Right. So I was, I actually was employed. Oh, I had okay. a job, but <laughs> I was ready to quit that job. And I had become a certified scuba diving instructor. And I had had some offers from a couple of guys out in Hawaii, like, oh, come teach diving out here. And I love scuba diving. I love the ocean. 
And um, I actually, I think I had unemployed surfer girls that ended up painting nail polish displays for me. And um, it, and yeah, I just, I met Sandy Lerner, who founded Cisco Systems. And Sandy had this vision. She She's like, look, I made a ton of money. I love kind of crazy colored makeup, but there's nothing out there in the price point. Like, I want to I want to pay for good stuff, but there's nothing good out there in blues and greens and purples. And I met her through her business manager, and I was feeling the same way. Like, I loved experimenting with my makeup. To me, it was all about self-expression and not about following rules. And um, when I met with Sandy, she was she had this vision as well. So it was a really cool meeting of the minds, and um, Urban Decay was born. Urban Decay was born. What, what did it take to get it from that point when you're mixing nail polish in an apartment it was like a small apartment it was an apartment yeah what did it take to get it from that to what we know it as today it took it took a village I you know it definitely I have a lot of great people and an amazing team that have all joined in and it's one big family I think uh, so many of our you know key people that run different areas of the business have been there over 10 years so it says a lot about the culture, and it's a very much of a family atmosphere. Um, but it, what it took was, you know, I always, I, I've never, I don't think I've ever told this story publicly on the air anywhere, but I'll tell it now. Awesome. So my boyfriend at the time had a friend who was a swimsuit rep, and he was traveling from uh, Northern California down to Southern California, and he called and he's like, "Hey, can I use your shower? I need a shower." I'm like, "Yeah, you can use my shower." Um, but I knew he was calling on Nordstrom. So when he was in the shower, I actually pulled his buyer list out of his bag and copied down the names of all the swimsuit buyers, tucked it right away. And after he left, I started calling him and saying, hey, you know, can I get the name of the swimsuit, bu- the cosmetics buyer from the swimsuit buyer? And they're like, sure, if you have the referral of that guy, sure. You know, and so I got the name of the cosmetics buyers and started making phone calls to Nordstrom. And that's kind of how I got in the door with Urban. And I walked in and I thought, I'm going to have to pitch this like in my ad agency life. I'm going to have to pitch it and come back and pitch it again. And I walked in with my little like metal Ikea box of samples, pitched it, and she pulled out an order form and started writing. And I'm thinking to myself, oh, my God. That's unheard of. How am I going to get this made? Like, how am I going to, you know. (laughs) Now that I've got them interested, how do I actually get it to them? So that's kind of how it started was just, you know, figuring it was being as resourceful as possible. And that's what I would tell anyone that wants to start a new business. It's all about, like, how resourceful can you be? How sneaky can you be when someone's in the shower? (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's, it's great that it worked out that way. How did you then go from the order that Nordstrom makes, obviously, it's a big order. It's a big company to getting it to the stores and getting it to customers. Well, fortunately for us, Nordstrom bought regionally at the time. So we bought, we sold to a region. We sold to a couple of regions. So our orders didn't have to be that big. And we were kind of like, um, you know, opening different regions with Nordstrom slowly. And that allows you to sort of gear up and ramp up without a lot of cash flow issue, which is really the hardest part for most small businesses at the beginning. And then Sephora came to town and they needed us and we needed them because I would go secret shop at a Nordstrom and I'd walk up to, you know, the, you know, Estee Lauder counter, counter lady, because we didn't have counter people, right? We couldn't afford that and say, hey, I heard Urban Decay has this new red nail polish. Can I see it? And they're like, oh, oh, let me show you mine. So you were, we were never getting the, you know, we didn't have the in-store support we needed. So when Sephora came to town, it was a whole new ball game for us. It was a level playing field and we grew with them. They grew with us. And it was a really 
I don't think we'd be where we are today if Sephora hadn't come to the U.S. So. Which is a really interesting point, because I think about that for so many beauty brands. Sephora changed the game. Your point about in the old days, if you went up to the department store and you walked through, essentially you're going to go to the table, the counter that you right. pass by that you know essentially grabs you out of the crowd. Whereas from a Sephora standpoint, it's customer focused. The customer chooses if you can go in and try everything play around with right. it, test it out on your hand, your face. It's you who makes the call about which one you walk out with. Yeah, it's it's so much of what's happening in the world today. It's the democratization of everything. Um, you see it with entertainment and, um, you know, like all of those YouTube videos, anyone can kind of be a star. Um, and I think it's the same way in the makeup world. Like Sephora made democratized beauty. It gave the customer, instead of the gatekeepers in the prestige department stores arenas, and they granted, they still do an amazing business. We love working with our Macy's partners and our Nordstrom partners. But, um, you know, there was a gatekeeper there 20 years ago that said the prestige beauty world is pink and beige and red. And that's kind of the, and maybe mauve if we're busting out. (laughs) And Sephora said, hey, Put it out there. See what happens. See what sticks. And we did. And there are people out there that wanted a great quality, bright green eyeshadow. And we were there for them. Which reminds me of your first tagline, does pink make Make you puke? I know. How did you come up with that? Um, It was a brainstorming session. I can't exactly remember, I think. But what I do remember, it was a throwaway line. And I said, no, 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 we have to keep that line. It's so great. And I think it summed up where we were at in the moment. It was the mid 90s it was the height of grunge it was the height of you know like this whole like sort of grittier chic starting to come to the forefront and people really embracing who they were as people and being able to self-express and I really thought does pink make you puke sum that up in so many ways because just because you love beauty doesn't mean you want to look like a beauty queen you know and maybe you do and maybe you don't but it should be your choice and that's what we've always said um from the beginning is it's makeup about self-expression. It's makeup for boys and girls. It's makeup for anyone who wants to tell the world who they are. And that's what I always say. It's not about covering your flaws. It's really about telling the world who you are. Urban Decay also has has gone a slightly different course than some of the other brands, which you haven't necessarily had that one spokesperson, the face of your brand until more recently with Gwen Stefani. Right. Uh, we, we worked with Gwen to do a collab, and that's a great... It's a great sort of full circle kind of story because right when I started Urban and I was in that little Laguna Beach cottage, I remember watching on MTV the I'm Just a Girl video and thinking, oh, my God, that girl is so Urban Decay. She'd be so perfect for us. And then I ended up meeting her through a makeup artist and really thinking she's just such a cool person and a really nice person, too. And then, again, through one of her stylists and just having sort of these – brief contacts with Gwen over the years and just always saying to her, like, we should do something, we should do something. And of course, her star went into the stratosphere. And it took us a while to catch up to be able to, you know, uh, work with her. But when it finally did come around, I just felt so gratified that it did really come full circle. And it was interesting, because she had become a mother, I had become a mother, you know, like, we just our lives had changed so much, but we really reconnected back in that same place in the love of makeup. When you look back, this is a brand many years in the making at this point. People know it now. It's 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 one of the most known brands in the beauty industry. 
When you look back at the steps that you took along the way to make it what it is today, what were the keys? What were three key things you did along the way? Well, I would say probably the number one thing. I really believed when I started this brand that if you just make great product and it's creative and it's good quality, like that people will find it and they will buy it. And that is not true. You really have to have a great infrastructure. You have to have a great business partner. And about 11 or 12 years ago, I met Tim Warner. He's the CEO, and he's an amazing guy that really was able to take. He saw that creative vision, and he he believes his job is to clear the pathway for a you know a creative person like myself to just go do what they do, and then he works on the sales and the finance and everything else. And I certainly have to have you know a business point of view on many many things to be to live in the real world. But he really sort of streamlined the way for me, and he really understood everything. He had amazing, you know, strategies on distribution and sales team. So I really say that that pairing up with Tim was the number one. He's like my work husband, and um, he's like my brother. So I would say, you know, that's kind of the number one thing. Um, you know, being able to work with all of these open cell retailers like Sephora, like Ulta, those were big game changers. And Macy's coming in with their impulse and having that open cell environment where their customer can pick and play and choose. I would say that's another one. And then um, probably a third aspect was getting over that sort of hump where you really can do things you want. You have enough traction and enough pull in the industry where you can tool your own components and really be truly creative. Um, You're buying enough quantities, you know, you have enough customers, you can do interesting marketing programs. So that was kind of the other thing was just to get over the certain dollar volume threshold. And you learn all of that as you're going along. Oh, completely. When when you talk about that, that first initial part, the first the first thing you you learned about making a really good product and you think that, oh, people are going to like it. If I make something different that's really good, people will find it. And you you saying that's not exactly how it goes, I think that's a real eye-opener. What would you recommend to people out there who, women who have something, they think they're onto something, but it's not taking off? I would make sure you have a business plan and I would make sure you're looking at your distribution and your sales strategy. I would say that's the biggest factor. Most um, people, the way they get into trouble is with cash flow. And so if you have a good you run business, out of money, you run out of money, even though you're growing and you're creating sales, you run out of money because you can't keep up with the cash flow. So you really have to look at how am I going to fund the cash flow needs of my business? And that is either through, you know, some small businesses do factoring, some get investors and, um, you know, private equity investment, which usually happens after you're a little bit bigger. But I would say if you're if you're making a great product and you're not seeing the sales, you definitely need to look at your sales strategy. How are you getting the word out there? One of the things that's always surprised me about the makeup, the cosmetics industry, is how many of these companies that are primarily for women are run by men. Yes. What did you run into when you were starting out and as a female with this idea? Well, I think... I think the world has changed a lot. There, at the bigger companies, there are a lot of men. But I think two things in the smaller companies. You see a lot more women in smaller companies having a bigger role. And I think now you see quite a lot of men who actually just want to wear makeup and be in the industry, which I think is really cool. Um, I definitely have had people like, pitch ideas like, oh, we should do a makeup line for men, like bronzers and concealers. And I'm like, they will never buy it. 
because a man that doesn't want to wear makeup doesn't want to wear makeup. But a man who wants to wear makeup, he wants the full bomb. He doesn't want this like kind of halfway men's makeup. He wants makeup. So I think there's people like that in the industry. So hopefully more men who actually wear makeup are getting into the industry. And um, then there's also, I just think there's more girl power out there. There's a great organization called CEW, Cosmetic Executive Women. If you're looking to get into the business, I would definitely recommend going on their website and joining. Um, It's not that much. And um, they definitely help with like pushing your career forward and figuring out how to be a powerful woman in this beauty industry. What's the worst piece of advice you've received along the way? Um, I don't know. That's kind of a hard one. I've received a lot of bad advice. Um, you know, mostly it's people pitching, like, let me be your distributor in this market. Like, they're just, it's just not a good fit. Um, and telling you that that's the right thing to do. I think probably the worst piece of advice was we um, we were pushed by some investors to consider going into China. And it really goes against everything we've always stood for as a brand with animal testing. And we pushed back. Um, and there was a definite, you know, the, the word got out that we were considering this. And there was a definite backlash from our customers. And I, I t- warned them from the beginning there would be. And I think that was, you know, they were like, yeah, but the people won't care. And I'm like, they will care. So I think that was probably the worst piece of advice we ever got was to go do that. And fortunately, um, I was able to pull the plug on it before it actually happened. So it was good. That's a good one. Yeah. I've heard a lot of bad advice. I think that's a really powerful piece yeah, of bad it's advice. Really, it's really powerful. And to I think the important lesson to take from that is just continue to stand your ground, even when someone has like a financial ability to push you in a direction if you just keep fighting back and it's the right thing and the right decision it it pays off great worst advice <laughs> wendy thank you so much for joining thanks us thanks for having me and remind people where they can find more urban decay well we have a, an amazing website it's urbandecay.com we also have great partners with sephora ulta and macy's and nordstrom so check those stores out wendy zomner thank you thanks for having me thanks so much for listening to another episode of no limits If you like what you heard, please make sure to subscribe, rate us, tell your friends. And if there's someone you think we should have on the show, let me know. You can tweet me at Rebecca Jarvis. And of course, you can follow along with us behind the scenes on Facebook, Instagram and Snapchat. And special thanks to the team here at ABC that helps make this happen. It is a big one. Taylor Dunn, Josh Cohan, Andrew Kelb, Michelle Boncardo, Steve Jones, Erica Scott, and Elizabeth Hecht. And join me next Tuesday for an all-new episode of No Limits with Rebecca Jarvis. Until then, take care, be well. Hey, I'm Andy Mitchell, a New York Times bestselling author. And I'm Sabrina Kohlberg, a morning television producer. We're moms of toddlers and best friends of 20 years. And we both love to talk about being parents, yes, but also pop culture. So we're combining our two interests by talking to celebrities, writers, and fellow scholars of TV and movies. Cinema, really. About what we all can learn from the fictional moms we love to watch. From ABC Audio and Good Morning America, Pop Culture Moms is out now wherever you listen to podcasts.